Yo, welcome, Tactical Crouch, 267, special ghost. We have the one and only Mr. Faustus from the Paris Eternal joining us on the mic today. Say hello, Faustus. Hello. Hello. What's hello, up? indeed. Nice to be here. Oh, I'm happy to have you. Happy to have you. Yeah. Um, I'm here for my award. What award is that? Uh, you get the award of... The probably the best Magic the Gathering player in this call at the moment. I know Yiska has dabbled. I know I've <laughs> dabbled. I'm just gonna trust that you're um, better at most things uh, than the. You know, I, I actually did play a lot of Magic the Gathering in college, and I did pretty good at Grand Prix <laughs> and stuff. So you're probably yeah, right. Okay. So you're you're. I mean, you're competitive. You've been to some of these events, so yeah, yeah. I would have to trust. You know, <laughs> I used to go to limited events all the time for locals okay. and stuff, and win them all the time. It, it, then I think I, it's a, a can, safe bet. I can play a red goblin deck. <laughs> I bet you can, you little cheesy gremlin. I, I don't ever want to hear you talk about how, oh, I like macro in the StarCraft 2. No, no. no, no you play red deck wins no, in card games. No, you shut your no, mouth. No, I, I actually... I don't think for Magic, I used to, because uh, I love Limited so much, I sure. used to go on the sites for like Mythic Spoiler to figure out all yeah. the cards and like learn all... There's usually like 250 to 300 and learn every single card and grade them out for myself. So when I went to the event, I can win it. You'd have like a sheet of like, okay, this is how priority this is like high value yeah yeah you've done it so much you just look at it it's like okay that <laughs> yeah. card that's a good card all right go on uh all right well with a little bit of the housekeeping still left to do obviously avril's not with us today he's focusing a little bit more on the you know all finals he's got playoffs to cover so he's taking a little bit of a hiatus so it's just gonna be the two of us and maybe a rotating guest every once in a while uh but with that said uh this is episode 267 um, and we can't do this without the thanks of you guys, uh, the patron producers and uh, supporters. Um, so this episode is brought to you by Avril Vista Baby, Battle Crab, Refend Bean, Bronze Babu, How Picasso, Chris R34444, Kasha67, Lil Shin, Pork Chop Sammy, Rex Zane, and Stuck in Bronze. Also, a special shout out to our YouTube members I Sam Jello, William Jesse, Vish Mam, Fire Element 6, AK, Chris R, and a Extra special shout out to Amish Shaggy, who actually donated as a super chatter, uh, I guess, last episode. So that is our housekeeping for today. Um, and we can't really not talk about the Paris Eternal with a Paris Eternal coach on on docket for this evening. Doing? I mean, do we have to, though? Do we have to not talk about mm -hmm. them? Because I've I don't know. I've been pretty impressed. I won't, I can't, I won't speak for Yiska, but after I just got back from vacation personally, so doing a little bit of review, I have been personally impressed, and it sounds like, um, I, I, I yes, the season may have not have you know has has ended. Um, well, as, you know, successful. It was a, as it was a better season gone. than I had on Skyfoxes years ago. <laughs> <laughs> sure, I mean, take the wins where you can. We got, we got they have one win. Hey. A win's a win, and <laughs> nobody can take that away from you, okay? You wear that like a badge of honor. So things things didn't necessarily go as planned. Obviously, Paris has gone through some stuff. You came in kind of mid-season, late you know, season edition. Um, we've talked previously. We you know just had an interview with you and Avala talking about um, you know maybe some of the future plans. So kind of to start us off, you and I had talked about maybe, you know, sticking with this core coming in as kind of a late addition and this roster kind of being retooled from the inside out. Um, 
talk to me about like maybe who's like the the big like the brightest like surprise somebody who you didn't necessarily expect i know avala had some really kind words to say about mouthville but um kind of interested to to hear your take on this as well who, who kind of really stuck out for you yeah, i mean for me it's actually mouthful too i actually like crowley a lot as well because uh people haven't talked about this much and i'm about to put do a tweet about this is that everyone's talking about how obviously proper is absolutely crazy he cracked out of his mind sure yeah it's the best player i've ever watched in my life on this in this game uh but tanks had to learn so much this season that mm. like if you don't know how off tanks used to be they used to be like um the guy in the background he helped with here, things here or there they never had to be like the hard callers because the main tanks and the main supports and some other he, uh, even flex supports would do that and barely sure. ever off tanks did it at least from what i know most off tanks don't talk a whole lot they never did and so almost every off tank player had to learn how to actually speak words out of their <laughs> mouth and like actually lead people uh that's not easy to do that's that's really sure. difficult uh anyone that's ever like wanted to play a game competitively to be an igl and still have good mechanics on top of being able to re- think of everything that has to go on in overwatch is extremely difficult uh and so Crowley actually surprised me a lot because uh, from what I heard before, he was like in Overwatch 2, he was one of those off-tank players that was the same. He didn't talk a whole lot of this and that, but he actually ended up being a person that talked a ton and wanted to always do well and tried to learn how to call for people and become more of a main tank caller. With. Mm. So that impressed me, but Mouth also impressed me just because he his mechanics improved a ton and he like got way better than everybody, like much, much faster than anyone else did because I think he started from a lower... Um, floor than everyone sure. else did but his improvement that he got was really really great yeah and um, i i think that's also like we talked a little bit about it's before the show this is actually a pretty good like point that most people don't realize everyone that came on during the season probably didn't have you know overwatch 2 access because contentness yeah. just didn't right like they oh. those guys were a couple of mi- months behind like you were a couple of months behind when you came in. So there there definitely was some catching up to do, even though you would have to say like you learned faster as, you know, you can copy from, from the guys that had to figure it out. So the rate of improvement over other teams is probably uh, expected to be a little bit higher, at least initial, initially. But that's that's also presumably the hope that you guys have that, okay, now like the season's over, but we, now we can prep into next year, right? Yeah, it's being able to actually have enough synergy plus being able to actually learn Overwatch 2 considering they missed two whole months of the game yeah. and never had access to it. That's just hard and for anybody. I, can, can that's, I, that's such a like disadvantage that puts you so far behind that it's it's you know drastically difficult. It's it's like a it's like a negative multiplier in a video game that like just sets you back so far and yeah. to see you guys, you know, in, in one of your last matches kind of compete and go toe to toe with Boston. I thought was, you know, admirable. I thought that was like an testament to maybe some of the work that you guys have done. I think, you know, eternal going into 2023. I don't know. I think it's got some good bones. I know you may, may fight me on yeah. that, but like, I think it's got here, good bones. Here's my problem. I'm from the, from the school of sure. Uh, from the roster building school of Gunba, uh, maybe <laughs> maybe you could call it the church. And I I know I, that might actually be a Valorant quote where he said that. But basically, like his point sure. was, if you don't see it after three weeks, you're never going to see it in a team. 
right? Mm. Like synergy is a myth. You're not building synergy. You're either like stick together some in some way, like the idiosyncratic, you know, attributes that every player has. And either either a team clicks or it doesn't. And if it doesn't, you blow that thing up and then try again, right? Well, I actually have a. Uh, I was on a team on Valorant that actually beats that because yeah, I was with Angry Get Titans him. and they were a team for a very very long time together for I think a year and a half almost like they were there was a very very long time together and they didn't do anything of note really other than make um, the DAC league and they went from being all that time together to I got to join and help them out and we changed all, nothing other than one player which was uh, we picked up this guy called Beepo. Uh, and from just picking me up and only Beepo and everybody else saying exactly the same, uh, they went from being just okay-ish and to beating tier ones and getting fourth place over every single VRL team. Right. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't keep uh, everyone. It's more of you're going to have to change something here or there yeah. somewhere to get some kind of change, but it doesn't necessarily mean that the team that you're with is bad. It just it depends more on like how the environment is and whether or not they can actually work off each other. I mean, if, if you're being fair, the the you know the, I guess heretics of the Church of Gumba would just say like that's something <laughs> that someone says that's bad at uh, building a team culture, right? <laughs> that sounds like something Gumba might say. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> like uh, I, I I see both parts, and I also recognize that if I think of how top teams work, and you will know this from your time uh, in the Gladiators, it's a bit of both, right? Like. A, yeah. it has to click immediately, but then you also got to build that synergy. And you, like, while it isn't always, and this is a thing that eventually we'll have to have a big uh, discussion about, because I think what the general public thinks is conclusive to a good team environment, and what actually happens within top teams in terms of especially, like, the tension, the inner arguments, and what that looks like, I think it's very different than even like I think if you were to imagine how you work in an office and the amount of adversity that you generally are expected to experience there that's far away from what ha <laughs> might happen in some top teams right like there are yeah. there are teams that won Overwatch League uh Overwatch leagues that really couldn't stand each other that's totally possible right mm -hmm. so yeah it's totally possible um like there's there's something there, but I think like Harsha had a had a quote on the Titans, and basically the the point was everyone kept saying that's a family, and he's like yeah it's a family and brothers fight. That's <laughs> just like what happens, right? Like yeah, there's there's yep. infighting, and if you're not fighting, that might probably either like you're very good at communication, everyone's very mature, or you're not improving enough, and you're not trying these stress points and like it's just complacency at that point do you agree with that generally mm, i think that yeah i'd agree with that uh when i was talking about the val team i meant the like it's not that the point you're bringing up from what goomba's saying isn't wrong it's more just what you get from the environment itself when you go through so uh you can tell when a team isn't clicking when it comes yeah. to like how they talk to each other how they try to interact with one another whether or not they try to get through these uh Trials and tribulations, right? Sure. Uh, of being able to talk to one another or uh, get through. Oh, I'm trying to think of what the. What I'm trying to word it. It 
if you can't have a player that just that will go up to someone and be like, hey, I don't like the stuff you're doing with this, this, and this, and the other guy's like, okay, what do you mean by that? Instead, they get defensive or mean or or anything, any of the other things that could be bad. That's when it's a problem, and you can mm. try to fix it. And sometimes you can fix it. Sometimes you can't fix it. But that's just off of will they have teamwork? Will they be able to work off each other from a, a social standpoint? Being able to stand actually just stand one another in a um, personality wise. But you also have that in the opposite in a different direction, which is are they even good enough to play? Do the <laughs> Like, is he good enough to be able to beat these other people in his role? Mm. And that's a, that's something I think is completely different because you can have teams like uh, I heard so many rumors of Shock having issues over and over the sure. uh, for like one of their seasons. I don't. It was I can't remember which season it was, but it was like one season. They were still doing really really well, but they were having some real issues because of something, right? Yeah. But they were still winning because they're incredibly good players. Yeah. It's it's really weird because. The, my best theory is the following. Like, I remember the season you're talking about, and I'm not strategically not going to mention which season that was. <laughs> as soon as smart nobody man, under, man. Under, under the bus. But there are teams where they are in scrims, they destroy everything, right? And yep. then it gets to the live matches and the atmosphere changes. That happened to the Shock that season, probably. That's my theory. But because that suppression thing that happens in games that actually helped them that actually helped them get on the same page because they like i guess if you're f very well tuned for a scrim environment but then you shut down in live matches or if you miss tune in scrims and then you turn it down in live matches then we know which one of those two options is the better one in in order to have success it was right. like this one season and that was a season that Sean won like, mm. they didn't have great scrim results, right? And that might just happen every once in a while, where teams generally, like, there are many reasons why teams don't perform, like, to their actual match level in scrims. There are some coaches that don't actually, you know, necessarily always want you to win. Others, when when I confront some, even of the top coaches, who say uh, and tell them, yeah, I don't. I don't think that team always wants to win. They sometimes want to try something. They're like, "Oh, that's cap." Everyone always wants to win, like hundred percent of the of the time. It's about the you know confidence and whatnot. I think there are different approaches, but generally speaking, like it's kind of interesting how how that shift happens, you know, between uh, scrims and then you know how the com structure changes in the life environment so would yeah. you say like did you guys have like a, a discrepancy between scrim results and like live matches uh we actually played better in live matches funny enough uh other than the typical oh i'm panicking because we're playing live and it's sure. winnable we're actually doing pretty well and you know it that happens i think to everybody you yeah. just at some point you just have to get over it uh but our scrim results, I mean, I could just say, like, they weren't the best in the world, but we never got stomped on. We scrimmed Fuel a lot, actually. We scrimmed London a lot. We scrimmed some pretty good teams. The only teams we didn't scrim with a whole lot was Shock, Glads, and Atlanta, I think. Everybody else was mm. scrimmed a pretty good amount. Uh, and it was never really that bad. Like, we obviously didn't win every single scrim, like, hard, uh, considering the circumstances. Uh, but... They were never bad. Like 
whenever it came out, I was screaming, feeling like, oh my god, that was awful. Right. Right. And I think that's good enough in my case, or like any any case for a team that if you get something out of the scrim and you learn something, you feel like you got better or you feel like you fixed something, that's what matters more. But you also have to be the coach to set that expectation for those people and the players have to know that. So for my players, like I said in uh, the um, article for Volo Mills, that uh, the players already knew they were going to lose. Mm. It wasn't We weren't just going to go straight in and start winning because yeah, you can't just uh, like for the ex- expectation at least. I can't go up and say we're going to win everything, even though there's two whole stages we haven't learned anything about at all, and you've never scrimmed out teams almost ever. We're going to go straight in and beat everybody with all you new guys, all right? That just that doesn't make any sense to, yeah. for me to tell them that. It also doesn't make any sense for myself because I'm also not knowing uh, how those first two stages were, mm-hmm. and that's why I said that to them. But also because if we go into scrims and we just keep losing over and over and over again. They're just gonna. Everyone's just gonna mental boom, and then we're gonna get nowhere. Which it sounds like they didn't. I mean, you and I kind of talked about this, and you just kind of mentioned it as well. That like, even with all like the trials and tribulations that this roster has gone through, and having you know being rebuilt and whatnot, it sounds like everybody's kind of kept like a a healthy, confronted, combative attitude. I guess combative isn't the right word, but like people want to address their problems. They want to improve together. Why do you think, is it because of the expectations that you guys set like very early on? It, like where, where does that kind of come from? Where do you think that kind of like lives or dies? That's hard to say actually. Uh, <laughs> Cause you never really know what someone else is thinking. Sure. I'm sure some of the people on the team didn't like the, the losing here mm. like all the time. Obviously no one likes to lose all the time. I don't. Sure, well, I've, been, I've been around long enough that uh, <laughs> losing, like I'm like, huh? Them's the breaks. Yeah, sucks, but move on with it. I, I, when I, what I mean by that is more like, obviously, I really hate it, and I really want to work on it and fix it. Yeah. But if I sit there and just feel bad about it and sad and like do nothing for like two days because of the depression, what am I getting out of that? Nothing. Yeah. So I'm better off just going through with it, get what I need, and keep working on it. That's how I've uh, how I've always been with like our matches and stuff, and except for like the first two years I did coaching. Yeah, I think everybody has to get through that, and so oh, do players. But uh, I think that part of them having that expect expectation because I heard them all the time talk about how I do feel like I'm getting better when mm. we we scrim some contenders teams like uh, the Odyssey guys, the new ones. Yeah, and yeah. Pl- players were like, "Okay, these guys are really good. Let's see how we are now." We go in and we just destroy them for like <laughs> in two different scrims they're just like wow we actually have gotten a lot better the, th- the thing for them was that uh if we didn't have a chance for those guys to learn like they actually got much better or they are feeling yeah. much better they probably would still boom and not feel good but they they did uh i'm sure some players on the team still feel bad about that but don't sure. feel the worst in the world like i've seen happen to players time and again of course it's it it's the expectation i think is is a general kind of catch-all term that I think is being thrown around because we're hearing this a lot with like London. I think that's been like their MO for a long time. And now that you guys kind of looks like you've identified at least a strong core, obviously you're coming in as coach, whatever happens in 2023, I'll leave that up to the winds of fate. But what it sounds like is happening is that, you know, and we kind of talked about this in the article is like, you can't play the same game. Everybody else is playing, right? Like the game is not the same for everybody else. And I think this is a quote directly from, um, Moneyball, weirdly enough. Um, 
you, you can't chase after these these big name players. You can't chase after the the biggest players in the world. So you kind of have to shift the the meta approach, right? You have to kind of shift which players you go for, what attributes you kind of you know are are chasing after. So I kind of I I we we kind of glossed around this a little bit, danced around it. Um, but you kind of talked about the calling structures, and it, and it's interesting to me to hear Crowley being what sounds like is a, a a big vocal part of this team. Um, and I always like to ask coaches and and staff members like if if everybody was like a part of a car, like who's who's like the emotional center of the team, who's like the the quiet, you know, very stoic one whose words don't necessarily <laughs> you know jump out at yeah, you, but when you they mean. speak, it's it's crazy. So kind of. Break me down the uh, the 2022 Paris Eternal as it stands now. Who, who are these players when it comes to to the comp structure? All right, uh, so they're still we're still building through it somewhat because sure. trying to teach people to say everything they see while not <laughs> missing other things is hard. Pretty people hard, are yeah. very bad at it. Uh, even if people think, "Oh, that's your job," you should get be able to do that and work through it. Teaching people to talk while they do things is very hard because Easy. it's it takes a lot of effort from both the person trying to help them and the person that needs to do it themselves. Mm. Uh, I don't know how many times in contenders I told someone, "Hey, I need you to say this," and then I would literally <laughs> just type it and whisper to them over and over again, like, "You're not saying it. You're not saying it. Please do it. Please do it." And then they, when they finally do it, we're like, "Yes, yes, it's better." Uh, that, that takes a lot of work. Sure, uh, but. Regardless, I just want to put that in there because I don't think people realize how much work and effort it takes for mm. people to talk more and like really fix parts of their personality or like the way they play the through the game itself. Some people can naturally do it. Some people just can't. Some people are just yeah. very quiet and more introverted, just like to focus more on themselves. Uh, so regardless of that, Crowley's probably the one that talked the most and tried to talk more about some planning stuff and got on people here or there about, hey, I need you to say this for me or do this for me. And he and at the beginning, he wasn't like that. And so as we went on, he got he became more and more and more of that kind of person. Uh, Malfoy also started to get more and more like that person as well. I think for the goal, for me at least, as uh, when I started to do more and more one-on-ones with the players was, I'm going to show you how you're playing and I'm going to show you what you should say and what you need to be thinking about because part of being able to say what you need to is to understand what you're doing in the first place if you go through and you just and you play your game but you're not actually using your brain when you're doing it and you just go the only thing that ends up happening is you do stuff but you have no red no idea why you just right. it's more instinct you know you, you do it because it feels good and you've done it before not because you know why it's good so we did, I did that with Mouthful, and he got much better at talking. Okay. I did that with Crowley a bit, too, and talked to him, and he got better at it. Uh, Rack also started to get better at it, too. Um, the only people that struggle with it a bit is Dove, because he's, um, like most hit scan players, they course, barely yeah. ever talk. They're a little zoned in. <laughs> they always zone in on their own <laughs> stuff, and they forget to talk sometimes. Yeah. Which, you know, that's fair. They do need to aim a lot more than other other people do. But uh, Dub is that person where you're saying if he says something, people usually listen because when mm. he says something, it usually means something. Yeah. Can you? Uh, sorry. Keep going. Go ahead. Yeah, I I, I was interest, interested because sometimes, like the there are these stereotypes 
of what mm. kind of communication structure everyone has. Like I remember someone picked up a flex DPS this off season and they're like, this flex DPS is very good. And that's not even the reason I got him. The reason why I got him is this kid is not a dickhead. And that's the first for me. <laughs> like, <laughs> right. So well, yeah. do, do, do you, I mean, I think there's something to be said about, you know, flex DPS like that. Those are the players like they want to be the big show. Right, like they mm. want, they have the ego, and it's probably like if you don't go into that duel thinking you're the best player in the world, you're probably already like half losing, right? Yeah. So it, yeah, you are. It's it makes sense for them to have that um, that type of personality. What do you think? Like, what are other stereotypes that you know too often oh, are true? That'll be this is really interesting. So. <laughs> uh, hit scans are normally like okay, you've seen KSP Kai. Uh, yes. in his, in his uh, cam, always like barely doing any Ice motion, man. doing anything, right? Yeah. Uh, most of his scans I know are like that. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, okay, there, there's a second one though. Uh, if do you know Lethal? Yeah. You guys know him? Okay, he's the other type of hit scan, the one that does crazy stuff all the time, does crazy flanks, does super aggressive, makes people do things that he wants. That's the other type. Mm-hmm. He, he's more like a flex. That's what most flex DPS are like, like you said. Mm. But there are some hit scans that um, make the team revolve around what they're doing so much so that uh, you have to play it off their play style. Mm. And sometimes Lethal does that stuff. And he, mm. he, his teams usually do really well for doing it. And sometimes he can do it by himself without needing it. But those are the two types of hit scans I've seen a lot of. That's that's so interesting you say that because that puts like a little like brain worm in, in my mind when it comes to like forcing identity i think identity is like a big thing that i th i still think overwatch competitive overwatch is still trying to find um i think some teams have like a great a sense of like who they are what they're good at they can you know pick and choose out of that toolbox when they do things and it sounds like lethal's teams you know have a very clear and and yes is gonna roll his eyes when i say this like they have like a built-in team color Right, like it's it's the lethal show. You get around lethal. He's doing the crazy flanks. You give him the resources. <laughs> he pops off. You you pass him the ball. Right. Yep. So, my question to you, as it stands now, and I know this is kind of a, a far fetched uh, idea, but if 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 we were to extrapolate, you know, a year or so of this team practicing playing with what you know about these players, do you think you? Do you think there is like a, a strong identity with this team? Is there something that you guys feel like you could pull out? Is there something that you feel like you do better than other teams? Like what what's the the eternal shtick? What's their not the gimmick, but like what what is the eternal system, I guess is the, the question. That's kind of a hard question to answer. <laughs> Cause um I know where I've seen good teams go. Sure. And I've been on where on teams that are good. Yeah. But every team is obviously different. And you can't just do what works. You just know what will work. And you need to figure out and what molds those guys will fit into. Uh, maybe like that is um, Dove is a hit scan player I have that I think is incredibly good. Mm. But he doesn't talk too much. But, you know, he's opened up a little bit more and started talking more often. But he's never going to be like the hard, calmer, caller kind of person, right? And he's not sure. going to fit that mold. But my one of my old hit scans, Grathen, was more of a lethal type. He okay. talked like all the time about plays he wanted to do, even if when he sometimes he would focus on his own thing. But you know that's his mold. So 
I can see the direction some of the players on my team can take if mm. they apply themselves to that and what that could work out for the team. But the, the, the question is whether or not we can hit those goals. Mm. It's not whether or not I think that I want to hit this one goal. It's there's multiple branches I can go off on depending on who applies themselves to what thing right, yeah. to fit that, um, that team style. I know that's more of an ambiguous answer because to me, it's also ambiguous to think that you're going to have players that just do this one thing when sure. they, they won't do that. Let me, let me throw a possibility at you. you tell me how wrong right. or how, you know, cook this opinion is right mm-hmm. from doing a very, you know, skimming of of the boston paris game i saw a couple things that kind of stuck out to me i i have a feeling that may maybe malthill kind of uh likes likes the resources likes to make those plays maybe is one of those flex dps that like wants to be the big show right and then i see you know rack attack getting a little bit aggressive going for these like i think it was on junker town um, trying to get on into the close hole, trying to boot people off like the overhang, the ledge and the high ground, trying to get some picks there. Like, is there a world where like that duo comes alive and they're diving back lines together? And like, that's maybe where the, the, the Paris system kind of coalesces. Yeah, you have okay. like Dove in the back line, you know, maybe playing some passive angles. I don't know. Just yeah, throwing okay. it out so, there. That, that's a, I like that question. That's a good question. <laughs> okay. uh, Cause you're talking about like, okay. So mouthful's always been like that. Okay. He's a, uh, very, very aggressive guy, and I couldn't tell you the amount of times he says, heal me, heal me now. Please help me. Please help me. I'm getting attacked. Uh, because he always does like to take that much space and go and go fight. Sure. Now, uh, I think Boston was probably, like, other than the first map, that was probably the worst map he's, or match he's had in a while. Mm-hmm. He's just not, he wasn't having a good day. Yeah. But regardless of that, he was doing that in other matches and doing quite sure. quite well yeah. at times. And uh, same thing for Rack. We were talking a lot about... Um, well, if you don't know the Odyssey guys very well, Rack almost never got to really play Lucio a whole lot. They were more mm. of a double shield brig type yeah. team all the time. And even when they played Queen Meta, it was Rack on Brig and Luke <laughs> on Lucio. So what I did a few times is that he's a very... I, I, well, you know how sometimes you'll hear the term, he's, there you have a moldable player? Sure, yeah. yeah. Uh, you could tell him something, he'll just try it and see how, how it works. And he's not very stubborn at all. Okay. So anything you tell him, he'll just try it. And he doesn't do it in a, uh, what's the word? You tell someone to do something, instead of putting it in their own play, they're like, I'm only going to focus on that one thing, and I'm only going to do that. He doesn't do that, which is good. It's like malicious like compliance. It's just like, yeah. I'm, you told me to do. You told me to clean my room? All right, I'm not doing anything else, but I'm just going to sweep this floor. Yeah, it didn't work too good, did it? All I did was <laughs> yeah. sweep, and everything's dusty now, so your idea yeah. fucking sucks. Yeah, uh, that's one way. Some some people just they hear an idea and that's the only idea they do. They just kind of yeah. tunnel on it so hard they just don't think about how they're actually supposed to do it. Mm. Rack doesn't do that. So I told him for this last stage, uh, I need you to be more aggressive and do your own plays, not really care about okay. other people. Which sounds weird, but it's because he's always played the uh, passive help Luke out type support right. player, and I'm like, you got to branch out of that. You got to learn how to be aggressive. Mm. So that way you don't just do the one thing. You got to know how to do multiple play styles, multiple different ways of getting through the game or you're just going to be the same player. Right. So what you're what you were saying for Mouthful and Rack is something I wanted them to kind like, of explore. Maybe that's explore. one of the tree branches. Okay. It's one of the, yeah, that's one of the tree branches. Maybe they're actually pretty good at this. Maybe they learn it pretty well. Mm. So later on I can build off that and fix into something that works really well with the team. 
You sure. Know? I did the same thing with Dub. If you didn't notice, I had him uh, take more angles and tell try to tell Crowley more often like what he was going to do in, in fights at the beginning so that instead of just having Crowley tell it people everything, I also had Dove and Mouthful being like, I'm taking this space, we'll have this. Do you feel like, looking at the Boston match specifically, because one of the notes that I had uh, written down was that I could feel Dove in the game. I think like a lot of this, this you know, meta currently, um, a lot of it can come down to just like opening picks from the Sojourn, right? Like they just hit a rail and the fight's over. Like, dang, that sucks. Like it felt like Dove was really getting uh, a lot of words in, whereas Seeker didn't necessarily have much of an impact, at least early. Um, mm-hmm. So do you think that's kind of uh, an, an implementation of that feedback where he's trying to take a little bit more angles, you know, working a, a little bit better with Crowley? Do you think like that was like the payoff there? Uh, I think on the cost, it was 100%. Like okay. from what I saw from what he was doing, uh, he's try- he was trying more and more to see how much he can get away with. Right. And on Busan, it, he figured it out. On the other maps, it was a little bit different because of it was just more of uh, playstyle differences between how sure, we were playing sure. and they were playing, right? But I think that Dove really started to get it. But I also think for Dove himself, he's just like this guy that will say, uh, I'm going to outwork you as much as I possibly can. And because Overwatch 2 actually finally came out, he got to <laughs> start outworking people right. and do anything he can to get better. So okay. I think that was also definitely a big big thing for him. Okay. I think that's a generally like a pretty big modifier going into the next season, right? Like, Oh, for sure. I feel like a lot of a lot of players didn't actually get to shine through the methods for which they got into the league in the first place, right? Like, a lot of players really are here because they're heavy grinders, right? Now, if you can't grind to that degree, because, like, I mean, all the... Okay, scrims is one thing, but, like, the the uh, pro packs and whatever, that never really got off the ground, right? So, like, mm-hmm. while others want to... And I think one thing I also really underestimated, like, even if you had those uh, pugs... If you can't stream them, I feel like there's a massive lack of accountability. Because, like, if you're now on ladder, you, at a high level, have to assume someone is streaming. And you don't want to reflect badly on that. You don't want to be seen throwing or whatever, right? So that keeps people honest. If my head coach tells me, okay, I got to practice ball, and I come into the first match in a pro park and go, like, I'm going ball someone starts trolling, right? Like, that, that match yeah. is already over. Yep. So, there's no accountability, right? Like, nobody's going to, you know, uh, keep it honest, like, or the stream is get, going to keep no one honest in that regard as well. Yeah, like, for pugs, if people think this comp is good, you either play that comp, or you're trolling. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Love that. Love me some of that. Like it happens at every pug. Like people just assume that you can only play this. Yep. So they like pe- like what is it? If you weren't good at Junker Queen, for example, back when that was a thing, and no. uh, even though Junker Queen's the only thing you play, if you could play Ball or Winston or anything else, they're just like, nope, don't want you. Get out. Yep. Yeah. People always do that kind of stuff, but in ranked, you can't. You just you're just forced to play with who you got. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And players really care about that, you know, artificial number going up and down, right? <laughs> yeah, they do. I mean. <laughs> A little dopamine kicker. I can't blame him. It is nice watching the number go up. Dude, I hear people. In, 
I hear people in Valley every time they hear radiant, they're like, "Yes, I got radiant. Let's go." <laughs> so yeah, I, I know how that is. Especially like even if um you'll hear pros and stuff say all the time, "All rank sucks. Doing this or that sucks." Yeah, they still love to hit top ten. Mm-hmm. Sure, it's a good measure. Yes, any any other questions about the Paris Eternal? Maybe going to the future, the Vegas Eternal. I I think. Excuse me. I think okay. Here's here's one question. Like I think, reasonably speaking, and I'll, I'll drag you a little bit into the you know local competition and looking across the pond. I guess London has had about a good as good of a season given their budget as you could reasonably expect, right? And over the seasons, there sometimes there have been teams that have been able to outperform their resources. I'm thinking, you know, Boston season one. That seemed to be like just an, a massive oversight and like a a lack of good scouting and especially also good coach scouting within the ecosystem, right? Like nobody hired Krusty and presumably Boston offered less money than uh, other people. And then, you know, all those players that w- were in there, including like Stryker, like those guys um, were undervalued. Then... Another team is like the Valiant. There, I would say, that's probably not a team that where the market just, you know, missed. I think that was probably a team that was pretty good, you know, in terms of how the atmosphere is um, handled. What do you think, like, is... is Which category is London? Did, did the team just... Uh, the, the league just completely miss on, you know, signing players like Hardy, who was a free agent, like... I, I guess Sparker was still signed, but like all the other guys on that team... What was that like an um, an inefficiency in the market, or was this the type of coaching that elevates the players um, more for their than their you know pound for pound value? That's have to say for London, I think it's a little bit of everything because um, European players weren't getting looked at much for this season, sure. at least as far as I know. I know most of them, basically <laughs> yeah. all of them, and I know what <laughs> they were getting into or like who they were trialing for and all that. Uh, even if I didn't know them, I knew someone who did, so I could figure it sure. out. <laughs> so uh, they seem pretty undervalued overall in the season, especially because of uh, so many teams looking at like their budget and COVID happening and everything, and they just didn't want to like paying for a visa is incredibly expensive. Sure, <laughs> for a lot like every team, and so um, it wasn't the, more the fact of hey, are these players bad? It's like do I want to take a chance on this player who looks good? to spend all this money on them when maybe this other guy is cheaper and looks just as good. Right. right. So it's not like I couldn't say it is for just for player talent. Cause I think I mean, I'm not, I mean, been in the EU forever. I think a bunch of European players are incredibly good and have, it could uh, help a lot of teams just based off of attitude or like their talent that they can improve. But anyway, uh, I think part of Chris doing well with the team and I've heard a lot of good things about him, plus all the players like liking each other, plus just the environment they have. I, I think everything just kind of really just came together because they also play Reinhardt. No one else plays Reinhardt. You can't just put it onto a, you know, they played the same comp everybody else did in one. They have people and a coach that want to play other things that they think they're good at, play a style that they think they're good at, and, and work with it. And they worked with it. Got an identity. But yeah. I. You know, before I, I know Chris sometimes listens to these. Before this is a Chris like PSA. Burn him, Chris. They are they are <laughs> also 
playing the meta and kind of good at it, right? Yes, like, they are. Yeah, 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 like, yeah, yeah. Hardy also, but they have the ace. Let me explain. Let me explain. <laughs> Hardy played a lot more Junker Queen this season than Reinhardt, right? Like, yeah, that's true. Yeah, I just want to say the more like um, instead of only playing the meta, they were able to do things that right. they also like. And even yeah. when they did play the meta, they were good. They have good players for it. Like, sp- like both their DPS or th- all three of their DPS because they have Shaxx too, right? Mm. Uh, playing in uh, are great at the heroes that are meta. And Hottie's a good tank player. He can play almost anything, except maybe Diva. I saw him play Diva. I was like, that's very confusing. But <laughs> she can do what she can do. I mean, you got poker for that, right? Like, yeah. exactly, good exactly. But it, like, regardless, of that, do I think Hottie could learn how to play some of this? Yeah, he's incredibly smart good player he's been on crazy good teams and proved himself time and time again he's incredibly hardworking. so uh even regardless of the ryan stuff i think that between just everyone like how they like each other at least as far as i know and their environment uh it's it's great great for them uh, i only hear good things because i talk to backbone and landon all the time and they, they mm. love it they have issues obviously like every other team does but it's not nearly as bad as i've heard from other other uh, teams in other seasons and how it's been bad. Yeah, and I mean to kind of segue into another little topic that I think is uh, hot on the press. Uh, I'm not going to name any names here, but uh, apparently there's some some other mitigation happening from uh, Activision Blizzard standpoint. Um, apparently, there have been some patch notes out in the ether. Uh, apparently. They're uh, they're changing some stuff for the playoffs, um, and Yisk obviously had an interesting article talking about you know uh, wh- what was it that you, did you get like some feedback from some of the some some unnamed sources regarding like the the approach or the the limited amount of time? Talk us walk us through that. Okay, so basically, like um, yesterday, or, or like I guess yeah. By the time you're watching this, it, it's yesterday. I um, released an article basically stating that the Overwatch League will deploy a live patch on Monday 24th, so next week. That's the week before playoffs. The first playoff match is happening on the Sunday. Um, we'll deploy a patch that is going to impact the playoffs. Moreover, that's also in the week where there will be travel. So APAC has a travel day. That is actually the day of the deployment of the um, of the patch. And then the patch is heading by end of day, I think. And then um, NA also has to get there for the teams that have to get there, right? Um, as far as I know, the PPA situation is not an issue. So, you know, you see what you see is what you get. About approximately, maximally five days of practice on a new patch... And then later on, I could confirm what the patch notes are. Now, this is confusing, and I'll add some clarity here. I'm not 100% sure how that happened any, uh, either, but basically, the patch notes leaked. The um, the guy that leaked them said, I just trolled. But my the, the, the best I could find out is that this was already given to contenders players beforehand, and probably that guy, I'm not sure if he's a contenders player or whatever, or just has friends there, um, like probably got it there and then 
of course, Overwatch League's teams need to be, you know, informed that this is happening as well. The thing is, just knowing the patent notes, like Faustus, you probably also know this, doesn't help you that much. Like, you, you <laughs> got to see it in practice, right? So, practice, five days, new patch, new hero, right? That's another uh, added complication here. Theoretically speaking, the the teams that were already qualified, and we know that this is happening, the top top teams that were already qualified already started scrimming on the Kiriko patch with Kiriko enabled. I can tell you, I saw scrims with her in. Um, it wasn't like a surefire thing. I like it, no, it's, it is. They're just wrong. It's, it's one they of those meta states where, you know, like I, I asked around, some said a incredibly well designed hero, like really mm -hmm. fun, like all all the right buttons to be pushed there. The problem is the numbers are very underwhelming. Healing's not great. Damage is rather hard, like to to uh, get the big damage numbers to, and especially like hitting headshots, even for the best mechanical players in the team, is definitely not a reliable thing that you're expecting there. But this is this is a hero that. In, I, I would frame it as breaks effective damage theory. Effective damage theory basically is like um, as long as you do deal more effective DPS than the uh, healers can outheal, then you're winning fights, right? Over X period of time. Of course, blocking and like, you know, positioning and, you know, high ground and mi mitigating effects all come into play. This is more a hero that is very effective with the numbers that she brings to the table, as in healing very effective where it needs to be, and um, like the damage probably needs to score a kill rather qu quickly, therefore not being healed. So you're not, you know, like playing any sort of siege type of situations, right? Like I think the poking can can work in some ways where like you you act upon like a random Kiriko headshot hitting or whatever. Not advised, right? But generally speaking, um, they they were working it in. I could see that we would have seen some Kiriko in the playoffs. Now everyone tells me like that you can't. Uh, we can't know based on the uh, patch coming in and that changing a bunch of stuff around, right? Like even though Kiriko has not been touched yet, and I will also say there's a, there's probably still a chance that ch further changes might become live because. Eventually, we will have to talk about this, and I feel a little bit uneasy about competitors being in direct talks about balance changes. And of course, like I'm not saying that the, uh, the the devs are just like, oh yeah, I'm in the church of you know this player telling me, and whatever you tell me is scripture, and I'm putting it in the de uh, game 15 minutes after I'm done talking to you. It's they're of course like very concerned for the entire player base. I I still like. Humans are subconscious animals, right? Like, are you telling me that there's a secret Game of Thrones? You think there's like a that there's like somebody has the ear of the king and they're you know oh you should you should buff you should buff Sombra today. The thing is like, if if I'm Dallas, let, let me tell tell you this: if I'm Dallas Fuel, <laughs> I know my lobbying sucks. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> like everything in there that I care about has been nerfed, right? So sure, yeah, um, yeah. This is this is 
a little bit of an iffy thing, but like, okay, long story short, and I'll I'll toss it to you, Faustus, because I kind of want to hear what you have to say about um, this patch, and then also in in, um, in conjunction with Kiriko. But I guess the first question you have to ask is, how hard is it to prepare for a playoffs match, maybe the most important match of your life, or matches of your life, in five days? Well... Uh, impossible. <laughs> uh, if you've been around for Overwatch for a bit, you should know that it takes about a month and a half to really know what you're doing. Sure. So five days is not that much time. Now, when I say a month and a half, I mean it more like uh, you probably won't have the perfect meta, like you won't have the meta figured out, but you're going to know enough to know like what you should at least do. Mm. And you won't just have to do it on the fly. And you'll have some time to try a few things out. You'll have some time to see what people like to play, the play style, all that. Well, if you have five days, you don't. You you just kind of have to focus on yourself. You can't care what other people do. Which which in Overwatch, I think, really sucks for coaches. Like it it hurts not being yeah. able to practice what you want to do against a specific team and their play style, because then it's all there's more up to chance and the players figuring it out instead of you being able to help them figure it out. Uh, so. Yeah, five days to practice a patch before you're in, especially with uh, meta-defining changes and a whole brand new hero that has an incredibly high uh, skill ceiling. Yeah, it's going to be difficult. <laughs> yeah, I can't imagine, like you said, it feels too good, you know, the role that's meant to be very strategic and, you know, to look at film and to, you know, draft up these ideas to present to players to try to implement, yeah. to counter opposing ideas and strategies. Uh, I can't help but feel... Like the 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 position of the coach coming into the finals currently is uh, incredibly dampened. But I, I have to throw this back at you as a retort. Um, do you think that like successful systems season long will be revealed in the finals? Does that uh, make sense? No, I get what you mean. I actually can tell you a team back in EU that okay, this happened sure. to. Uh, if you guys know the org Giganti back when yeah, they yeah. were a uh, European team, they had a lot of Finnish players. They were Finnish org. Yep, yep. Uh, so Ghosts was a thing for a very, very, very long time. And the contenders played on that for a while. Uh, Giganti was absolutely destroying everybody. They were 6-0. Not a single game was like even close. They were mm -hmm. just dominating on Goats. Uh, and then the playoffs were going to happen. And all the contenders teams get a week to figure out how to play two two two. No goats. This isn't as bad as that. Obviously, that's a huge change. Yeah, sure. Yeah, that's a giant change. How the heck are you supposed to figure that out in a week? <laughs> right. Uh, so what I know is I play versus Giganti a lot. They're a hardworking team. They don't just get good at stuff like that. Mm -hmm. They build it up, figure it out and then find their counter and how they want to do the, their play style into it. That's how they'd win, right? And so when they came in, did they do well? Yeah, they did pretty well still, but they still lost because that's just impossible to figure out that quickly because someone else might have, have a better idea. Mm. And then you have to work through it and fix it. And if you only get a game to do it, and, it, and then, oh, you lost, you go to loser's bracket, you get one day to figure it out. That's Could you figure it out? Maybe. But I'm not saying it's easy. <laughs> sure, yeah. So what I get from that more is that was their change bigger? Yeah. Is this change smaller? Sure. It may be a little bit easier to figure out, but it's still got the same implications. Like <laughs> some teams are better at figuring out um, the way they need to play and their play style to beat other people. Mm. 
And you do that sometimes, and you don't feel like, I would say, like you have the best talent in the world that can just beat people by just being mechanically better and playing the game for a while and understanding the game at a very, very, very high level, right? Mm. And so if you go in, you don't, you barely get time to practice what works for you, and it, you just figure out, oh, this doesn't work anymore, or you're not even sure it works anymore, uh, but, you're just going to be directionless a bit. Mm-hmm. But but Faustus, okay, I like, like let me get a drink ready because I, right after I'm done saying this, I have to clean my mouth, wash my mouth. Um, okay. But Faustus shouldn't be shouldn't the best teams in the world be able to adapt to every single meta? <laughs> you would think that, but that's not very easy. I I, I hate I hate this. <laughs> Look. It's, I think, okay, let me run a theory by you. And the problem is I can convince zero people of this theory. Okay. okay. <laughs> this is, strong, strong theory, bud. You've got a great argument. This is, this is all headcanon. <laughs> but my theory is with playoffs patches so far in the Overwatch League, we've been nothing but incredibly lucky to have the best teams actually during the season actually also be able to win the season. I think London might have a word with you. London is a massive outlier as was it is. Philly, right? Yep. Like those teams that that's already like one one point for my theory. The fact that Titans and Shock got into the finals is cr incredibly unlikely and probably predicated on the fact that those teams were just like much better than everyone else playing that season. Yes. Then like Season three, complete luck. Like that, the, the, as the meta changes so quickly or so often that they were like the the teams that got in were were able to. Season four, Shanghai probably transcendentally better than everyone else as well. But to the sure, point yeah. where their finals yeah. opponent are like not even mad that they're losing. You know, it's just right. They're like, ah, well, it's I, I would say, I will say the very fact that Atlanta got there based on that meta. And them having a better matchup is proof for my theory that it works. It's just Shanghai was much better than everyone else. Like, Tia's better than everyone else. Right. And they themselves got it lucky that their meta comp was uh, capable of winning that season. But generally speaking, this, this season specifically, because it feels like we're, we have a lot of top teams now and a lot of teams that are generally capable, basically this patch is more likely to have decided the outcome of, of this um, the the Overwatch League Grand Finals than whatever the teams will be doing. Oh, actually, hmm. you could also think back to when, uh, I think it was the last season, when Washington came out with that Hog Zarya comp and uh, then just started winning. Yeah. I think it was, yeah. was that yeah. 2020? Was that two years I think, ago? I think it was. I, I mean, it's been a bit. Even, yeah. even season two. You know, like Washington is terrible for an entire goats year. Then oh, yeah. stage four rolls stage around. Four. Like I'm not sure where that team goes if they get into playoffs. Yeah, they yeah. Ha they had a pretty That's good true. fourth stage, right? So yeah, they had a really one. Like my this, this is once again like you know once again Church of Gamba. Like it's it is as much as it is synergy. Synergy can only grip after a certain amount of time. And like meta understanding and working and like incremental changes, all that jazz. In five days, you're doing none of that shit. Like what? Mm -hmm. it, what is happening is either your players click with the meta or they don't. 
And the yeah. best you can do is find a meta that works that sort of and this is where where I like I think almost it, and this is an underrated part of it. I think a lot of early early like domination in scrims this this coming week will determine the outcome of the finals because if I'm gladiators and I can convince everyone else in the league based on the first two days of scrim blocks that the comp I found is the best because I'm the best at that comp then nobody else is probably going to look elsewhere unless sure. they're I think yeah. someone like Rush is capable of doing that that's probably a guy that will just like die trying instead <laughs> true but that's true everyone else like will will have a uh, a hard time catching up then right so that mm. that thing plays into it right like i yeah, i don't want to add on to that some too like whenever like one of the top teams like you know the top three mm -hmm. play something and you get rolled by it a lot of times you're like can we play that <laughs> that seems pretty good that seems pretty good i like the way they're playing <laughs> for me it, kind of, it ties back into like the the intro where it's like you show up to like a grand prix and everybody's running this weird deck and it's just like do i have those do i have this out of that like, what's what do i have some of those let me let me try let me let me see what that's about yeah, let, let me, me let me see if that's any good <laughs> Ooh, it oh it, that were oh i didn't oh okay well and i mean i guess we're playing that now and, and right, we'll try that out <laughs> here's the here's why this uh metaphor is actually brilliant because what the fuck can you do if you don't have the cards that make that entire deck like, work, right? Like, yeah. what if what would it, what if this turns out to be I don't know. I mean, okay, let's let's go to the to the meta that we just had. What if we, you don't have a completely like juked out of his mind Genji and Sombra player, um, or like I think that's probably where in that last meta, or let's say actually the Zarya. Like if if you don't have Hanbin. Maybe you also lose, right? Like that that type of stuff. Um, I mean, in goats, a lot of the teams that won. If you look at their Zarya player, their Zarya player was way better than other people's Zarya players. Yep. Like even like I'll use actually I can use Glad as an example. They didn't have, they had Surefour on Zarya, and he wasn't the best Zarya in the world. I think he was a really good player. It just wasn't his character, and he didn't have okay. enough time to figure it out. They got the K, one of the best Zaryas in like in Reintenders. And just absolutely dominating. Comes over the glads. They change absolutely nothing else. Wow, they're really good now. Mm. Yeah. So like sometimes a hero in comp is so so important to be able to play it and have a good one at it that if you don't have that person, you just can't play that. Yep. Yeah. That makes no perfect sense. And like once again, nobody likes that argument because nobody likes their championships to be decided by dice rolls or like nope. um I mean, it's not necessarily dice rolls. They are actually gods that decide this. They're called developers. Now, if you can whisper, <laughs> if you if you can whisper into the developers, you know, Saria is actually very overpowered, dude. If I'm the gladiators or if I'm Shock, I'm trying my hardest to whisper all the sweetest things into the developers' minds to nerf Hanbin like to the ground. Yeah, right? of course. Sure, yeah. guys, guys, this Hanbin guy. He's just too good. We got to figure out what to do about this. They keep playing Lucio Zarya, and we're losing. <laughs> that, like um, Aaron, I, I don't know what to tell you, but uh, Zarya is just—it's too much damage. Hanbin, uh, I, I mean, Zarya does way too much, like with the bubbles. And then when you know, when <laughs> when we engage on Hanbin, I, I mean, Zarya, like you know, like it's just that the some players are 
just transcendentally better. I, I was looking at statistics for Dallas Oof. this season. Every other top team in the league either is at the delta of like damage contribution, yeah. killing blow d d uh, contribution is like pretty towards the mean or d DPS heavy. Meaning most of the time the teams that have the harder DPS carries are doing better or like everyone else is sort of in the mean mean of the league and then those are the uh, the most successful teams not Dallas Field dude it's just the Hanbin show i can tell you from scrimming Dallas that Hanbin is just nuts at this game it is incredible what that guy does for that mm. team sometimes yeah not that the other players on Dallas are bad it's just the uh, Hanbin is just that good it's like when I watched uh, Shanghai when they won. If you watch Void play, he was by far the best off tank yeah. player in the league, in my sure. eyes. Yeah. By far. You could watch him play. He does so many things that other people just didn't do or doesn't know how to do. And he would give the most insane value for his team. And I see Hanbin in our scrims and I just see him do things. I'm like, if that was someone else, I just couldn't see it happening. Yeah, for sure. Can't really name you too many other teams. Maybe Soul. Like that has like a playmaker at the tank position, and like, even genuinely like a playmaker. Even they are in the middle of the delta, right? Like yeah, they're right exactly. around the normal distribution. Actually, funnily enough, and of course, like this is season data, so um, you won't have too much say. I, I, this is a little bit dirty because um, we also have the prior rusted in those numbers, but the Paris Eternal also is pretty heavily uh, tank um, damage. Mm -hmm. Uh, and this is final blows in that graph. But basically, like what I, I want the viewers to look at is this is a graph where, um, and I unfortunately, let me drag this up so we can see it fully. So the, um, the X axis is tank final blow percentage. And the, the other one is leak points. Leak points being the best approximation about, uh, about you know, leak performance. Now, I, I want you to look at the top left corner of the San Francisco shock <laughs> where like they, of course, like among the most points, but have the lowest uh, tank final blow percentage. Okay. That's basically, uh, if you couldn't infer, and if we brought up the DPS graph, they would also see that it's the, it's the proper sh uh, show there, right? And, yeah. I can actually give you a, a story about the first time we scrim shock with the new guys. Uh, so we scrimmed them. We had two scrims with them. And so we went in half the maps. I'm not kidding you. Proper was so good. He won by himself. <laughs> I'm not even kidding you. There was a map where he had almost 40 final blows and the next person was at five. <laughs> that is not an exaggeration. That is the truth. Yeah. He was doing that much. Yeah. Yeah, like yeah. that guy is crazy. It's, it's never seen a player that good. It's so sad because, like, I I I understand that everyone's just like sick of hearing the same. The Hanbin is very good, but whenever I talk to anyone in the league, they always have these stories. Like you know, like Anter yeah. uh, told ever like this guy looks like he's you know gets bored in the middle of a tracer duel and wins it anyway. 
Stuff like this. Like, everyone has this one-liner about proper that I haven't seen about another player, right? Like, that, it just leave, leaves a lasting impression, a mark on your soul. You've been proper tapped, right? Like, it's... Yeah. <laughs> like, you, you will remember so, that scrim block. Yeah, I will. I'll remember. It was, it was crazy. I knew he was good for watching him contenders, but it's crazy actually seeing him in a scrim with your, versus your own team. But it's, I feel like it's uh, really similar to Hanbin, too. You never really see a tank that just does as much yeah. as he does. Yeah. 100%. Uh, also, like, when I was thinking about the MVP race, I really wanted to give it to a tank because of how much difference of a role sure. your, your actual role changes. Mm -hmm. So, like, seeing Smurf or Hanbin win it, I think, makes a lot of sense. But the their argument is that the other guy is proper, and he's, like, he's proper. Yeah. He's crazy. But I also don't want to give that away from how good... Spurf and Hobbin have really for sure. done for their totally. teams as well. For sure. Yeah, I, I think like I I have to maintain my my stance on like, you know, had Hanbin played and dominated throughout that, I think I probably put him at MVP. He didn't, and that I have to evaluate that in. I also understand why they had to play Fearless, but once again, right? But like mm -hmm. basically the other point to just explain the graph is Look at how alone Dallas Fuel is here from the all the other top teams. Everyone else is like on the left side of the distribution, right? And yeah, yeah yes, like it's a different cutoff. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know how to read graphs, guys. But th basically the point is that Dallas Fuel completely disregards what you what we might statistically believe to be the case about Overwatch 2 tanks. Like Hanbin is absolutely able to carry and I I know for a fact he's also the drill sergeant for that team. He dictates yeah, he everything there, right? So that's definitely like those are definitely the qualities of an MVP player. Like don't get me started. If this guy is not like an you know unanimous role star, every single one right, has yeah. voted him for, like no, I, I'm gonna be high. I'd like, be mad if he wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> no, like this this is also very interesting and in large parts, like, I hope we get into a meta equilibrium. It's the best that can happen with that balance patch, right? Where everything is sort of playable, right? Like, where Dallas Fuel can keep their style and they can play this area, but where, you know, the shock, I don't know, um, can play something that works better for proper and also let's. You can say London. You just say London. Just, just like say where, where just Ryan also London. works, right? Like, exactly. some, something. I think stage one was pretty good for that. I'd right? say mid-season. I thought mid-season was very, like, open. You could do a lot of different things. There was a lot of different looks you could throw, like... Yeah, stage two, I think, is where it really, like, started to open up. People, one, were still trying to figure sure. their own stuff out and, like, getting yeah. some things. But stage two, people started to play all sorts of things. Yeah, it was super cool. And in that way, you talk about, like, having an open meta. You talk about maybe Zarya still being in vogue with, like, a glossary look at this 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 early look early access patch notes um is there anything that like jumps out at you as like okay that could be a little worrisome you know maybe there's less genji and maybe there's you know more or less sombra is there anything here that kind of like gives you like a medi uh, an early meta read uh i think the only the biggest change was obviously that sombra sure it it I, it almost feels like they gutted her <laughs> I don't know. If he, I don't even know if she's even playable anymore oh, because geez. of how less, much less damage she does. Yeah, especially with no alt change. 
like at all like she now she builds all uh slower too like it mm-hmm. was those chip those changes are massive for her especially considering how much play time she had in this uh last stage and how you know, integral integral she was to some people and how they yeah. like did stuff that changes a lot for people so uh the other changes it's more of a i think you feel have to feel it out to see like if it's like a hard nerf or like a kind of whatever or if that hurts the burst or you know for how you play does it hurt you right because for some people that kind of stuff obviously the nerf but maybe doesn't really hurt as bad as you think it does mm. but that summer change hurts a lot mm-hmm. okay okay Gen- genji means are... around the world were crying do you do you understand that tears <laughs> oh yes every time genji's damage goes down something really messed up happens to his combos to the point where people are like wait this doesn't work anymore yeah yeah it's got to be a weird muscle memory like when those those breakpoints get changed and it's like ah oh, oh, oh an hour ago that kills like why yeah, yeah. Please. So like it, if that change uh makes those breakpoints change a lot then yeah. it's really really going to hurt him yeah yeah any you... any early early reads from the the scrimbox stock exchange yesterday any anything no, i mean we, we can't stream yet on that patch right like sure but you yeah. know you the, the stock well, exchange do be talking i think i think people have been playing kiriko for the past week and a half or something yeah sure, yeah yeah no that's that's definitely a thing um but I think I really think a lot of teams, and it will be interesting. I think a lot of teams will keep it very close to the chest what we're running. Like I think I there do. there will be teams will be looking at the at their bracket very deliberately and go like, sure. I'm dodging the you, I'm dodging you, I'm expecting you to win this, I'm dodging, I'm dodging, and will try their best to get the best possible opponents to practice against that they can avoid the longest. And will swear them to secrecy, sure. um, which, if we're being honest, generally doesn't work that well. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, I think that if if I'm a, like a team that is probably not expected to do be doing well, maybe mm. I find the other team that doesn't, and I'll just tr- uh, try like throwing curveballs with each other. Like we're only screaming yeah. each other. If anyone knows, I know. Like you're now eternally you, on the yeah. shit list for it. Like, <laughs> yeah. Right? Like stuff I, I like. I, I want to explain a little bit about this Sabra. I want you to know yeah. how much of a menace she has been in scrims for people. So if she doesn't get played, here's what here's what happened. Basically, every single team scouting completely changes mm-hmm. because you used to have an invisible hero in the back pinging people, so you know exactly where everyone was at all times. Yeah. Uh, you can't just kill stragglers off cooldown. Used to, uh, like with her, she forced people to have to play in groups. Now you can get right. away with more. If you if you didn't play in a group and you got caught, you immediately died. It didn't matter what you were doing. If you were alone, you died. Because she saw you. And just her plus one more person will kill you. Her ult is an immediate win con. If you have it, you will win the fight if you know what you're doing. Uh, she ups the tempo on every single comp. So that way you need to know what you're doing. Otherwise, you just get found out and tempoed. So between all of that, if she doesn't get played, the whole tempo of the game is going to slow down because of all all those small things that she did. Mm. And teams that like like to play it a bit slower, like to play a little bit more brawly, use that a ton. And not having that means you don't have that information anymore. So sometimes you'll have to do stuff blindly. Mm. So presumably, this this hero is overpowered enough to be basically be you know all everyone will play them in play-ins right 
Mm-hmm. Do you think that's true? Like, there's probably not not another meta interpretation right now for any of those playing teams. Uh, not completely sure, because people can try out a bunch of things. Maybe something works a little bit better. So it's like Sombra did that kind of stuff, but even then, you saw people play that Zarya comp because yeah. even versus Sombra, you're fine not needing the player. Mm-hmm. But for some comps, like if you're playing the Diva comp, you don't have a Sombra anymore. Like if you don't if you don't get to play Tracer Sombra with that Diva, that changes a lot. Like mm-hmm. a lot, it changes a lot, a lot. Because Genji can't do the same thing that that Sombra does. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. Do you do you generally agree with the approach of playing the plants on this patch that we all know? Uh, I mean, if that's what they did, I guess that's what they did. I'm not completely sure about it. That seems odd. Yeah. But it also seems odd to be like, hey, here's a patch. Uh, you get yeah. two days. All right, figure it out. Yeah. I, I a th- great situation overall. To, to be fair, so, like, there are not many great solutions here right like what do no, you do for the play on it's like do you give them the new patch then they also have to struggle right yeah. if if you let them play on the old patch okay that might be figured out also you got kind of have to like you could have decided to play it by ear and see how many teams are still struggling for the but then you would almost like you know strategically um disadvantage the one team that still had to play until the last day and definitely could not do anything else but you know, practice the, that patch. Like, there are basically no good solutions. Yeah. I feel like the one we chose is not the best option, though. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. um, um, I think... Well, what would you have done? Uh, like, I, you're I, a perfect world. I would have... I mean, you know me. I'm a, I'm a sucker for, like, high-quality um, playoffs. I think that change makes it more likely that we will see upsets. Um, yeah, of course. Yeah. And I like I think I want the the playing teams to have the ability to come back, but I don't want to that to be artificially enforced by leveling right. or software setting everyone's progress with such a heavy-handed uh, balance patch that not just balances but also introduces a new hero that right you know yeah. is, is potentially like almost like i don't know like that that thing could introduce i'm not sure if you, i would call it a different meta archetype but like does a, a couple of things differently than we used to be able to right mm. yeah she's a very different support very very different i i think that how you normally play heroes for support, she just doesn't do the same thing. You know how you're talking about the the team that does the more damage uh, wins? And she's not like, she isn't that. She's a more like a Widow or a Hanzo that she's just going to try to get final blows. And if she can do that, she'll win anyway. To the point where like, maybe you don't do that much damage, but you get so many kills and picks off of her or other people. It doesn't matter because they're going to be down a person every time. And so like, I know some people are going to try her out in like brawly style comps, but I don't think she's that's what she's good at. I don't oh. think she's a brawl hero. I think she I think wants she's... to dive, right? I you, like yeah. I see these. I I, I was I, I had a soapbox very early on. I'm gonna be selfish here for a moment and pitch this to you, Faustus. Right? Yeah, Sombra got nerfed, and I'm I'm kind of glad she did because I saw a very very clear world in my mind 
where like pre-nerf Sombra and Kiriko were like this like delivery service from hell. Yeah. Where like Sombra just runs in, you teleport to her, invisible through a wall, and you just kill somebody. Yeah, I, I thought that if you were gonna play Brawl, you have to play a Sombra in it with her yeah. to give her some way of diving with you or like mm-hmm. getting away. Because if you uh, so a difference between her and Bat, let's say you're playing a Zarya comp, right? No Sombra, yeah. just the normal Genji, Soy, Genji, whatever, right? Uh she has no one to TP to. That's other than Genji, but Genji's not going to be that far away, so there's just no one to teleport to. Yeah. Uh, your uh, cleanse only lasts half a second to say, I don't know how much it is, it's not very long. Yeah. And you do good damage, but you also have to hit headshots for you to do anything significant, to be honest. And then you would never ever actually be able to use your wall climb, because you don't want to go forward because you're on a brawl comp, you need to like play your distance so that way you don't yeah. run into things, right? And, but you could play far back, but then you don't get any damage because your projectile is so awkward at long range. Sure. So with Sombra, though, that changes. She's going to be behind them all the time. You always have someone to TP to. You can fight mm-hmm. with it. You can uh, always have some way of escaping in a Brawl comp. So you could actually play off it really well. But I, I feel like if you don't have a Sombra with her in a Brawl comp, like, she's just a worse bat. Yeah. I don't see how, like, the like let's say you were playing the Zarya comp for Zarya comp. Once Kiriko, once bat. I don't see how the the BAP uh, Zarya comp just can't just run straight at her and kill her. Yep, yep, yep. Lower damage, lower healing. Like, yeah, you might just randomly get, like, logged, but out of, like, the law of big numbers, like, across the entire series, you know, BAP's probably going to provide you more value, right? Yeah, we even got to scrim uh, Dallas a little bit on the patch, and they were trying Kiriko out, obviously, with the Zarya like everybody else probably did. Sure. And this was, like, at the beginning, so they probably changed a whole bunch of stuff. It's probably not the same. We tried, and since we weren't actually playing live, we tried BAP, and we killed Kiriko off cooldown. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like, it we, feels like, like she kind of just sits there. We we didn't, like, win all the time, but it was very, very close, just because of how much more BAP provided yeah. than she did. Because yeah. uh, BAP also heals more. He has, he has more bursts. He His uh, gun does more healing. Her her healing is pretty good. The problem is it's projectile. You also can't shoot when you do it. Yep. And so, can you heal a lot? Yeah, but it, it's not just like BAP where boom you get 200 more health. It's over time. It's not just you get heal a burst healing. It's yeah. like over time healing, like more kind of. Yeah. How, how right. do you like uh, my? And I haven't seen it performed to be fair, but in my mind, it's like super hard even if you play her not in brawl but what how do you crack against brawl because or how do you crack the brawl because even if my guy is on the flank or sombra and like kiriko comes in like there's one of two options either kiriko instantly dies because the brawl is just prepared to turn around or they just run on the rest of my squad right like presumably do you does my composition then necessarily have to run Lucio in order to have any chance to not just get rolled or you know what what kind of like how does that work even if you if you do these flank missions? I would say if you're playing a similar comp, uh, it would be more like you don't start fights off with Sombra or Kiriko. You start fights off like a normal way, try to force some cooldowns out, and then when you get a setup and you're able to get like on their Kiriko bap or whatever, then mm-hmm. you would do something because, sure, they'll try to kill your Kiriko and Sombra in the back, but if they get that kill and the rest of your team's also running in at the same time, then it's kind of hard to deal with everything. Maybe you lose your healer, 
but if you kill the rest of them, you still win. Yeah. No, they, the the so, one. Sorry, keep going. Oh uh, yeah, I was gonna say. So it's like, is the added mobility plus someone else being able to go in and fight? Because if you're playing a Zarya comp, you're gonna have the Genji. Usually had the Genji too, so the Genji would mm. also dash back there as well at the same time. So you'd have multiple ways of engaging. That wasn't just one way. You'd have different uh, setups that you could do uh, on a lot of things. That isn't just I'm a brawl comp. I walk at you, right? <laughs> There's a lot of flanking. There's a lot of uh, angles you could take between everybody. You don't just have to play as a five-man death ball, right? Yeah. So is that good? I couldn't tell you because I haven't, you know, had to have to try it out. But <laughs> sure. I can see the I can see the possibilities of being able to try a whole bunch of different things out and see if it is good. Mm, yeah. But the one thing I, that I will say, like, if the, she becomes meta, and if we get these flank angled situations. Man, like whoever designed Kiriko really stood up and goes uh, in the morning, woke up and went like, I'm a mess with some observers today. I'm going to create a hero <laughs> that's a nightmare to observe. Like, that's... It, I think that's that's another kind of like underrated angle that I think is, is going to be a little difficult. And, and I think maybe the Sombra look maybe would have made it like easier to spot like early on, where if you have this vehicle to get like Kiriko in or out or vice versa, however you need it to be. Um, it almost telegraphs like the the hand before it hits you. So like maybe it's not as bad, but uh, you know, definitely sympathize with you there. I think it's going to be super exciting. I'll be there live. Uh, I think it's going to be great, great experience. But that said, we did have some some interesting matches coming in, and we have some matches to kind of look forward to. And I'm interested. A lot of a lot of very interesting topics. Um, in, in getting your input on some of these NA teams, Faustus. Obviously, Spark advancing through the APAC plans, kind of upsetting the Chengdu Hunters. I don't know, Yiska, do you have any kind of thoughts on that? I was on vacation. I didn't get to see that. I, I saw the charge lose, though. So Yeah. Oof. Dude. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was soul-shattering, because I think not only did it rob us of a potential series against, you know, Hangzhou yeah. or Guangzhou, but... I also th felt like they really betrayed their own potential there. Mm. Um, and that must have... After what they did in the second half of the year... Yeah. Like, I think that that must really suck. That they uh, were not able to, to win that map five. And I think they probably even think, like, whatever the map five... Well, let's talk about, you know, map three or <laughs> four, right? Yeah. Like, um. So yeah, unfortunate situation here um, for the charge. Uh, the spark, though, I think. And the problem is, <laughs> once again, we d we don't know what the meta is, but like they kind of showed up in that match. Uh, okay. So I mean, I mean, also if you look at the distribution across the season, spark, of course, one of the most hard, like hardest carried teams by their DPS. Right, like their DPS, like just does does the work and um, puts out uh, the most in comparison to their uh, other lines. So, mm. uh, did did you get to watch any of those APEC matches, Faustus? No, I actually did not get a chance. I was focused more on like what my team was doing and other things mm. because uh, APEC usually played completely different play style, different comps than we did. So, 
looking at them, you could get a few things, right? If you wanted to check out like some strats people did on maps or get yeah. get a little bit of a different idea from someone that does a different play style. But generally, uh, I didn't get a chance to watch APAC all too much. That's fair. Yeah, I think- did see some some Bernar. Shout out to 2016. I think Albion's very, very pleased with himself. Seeing Bernar on, on the, the old Zarya pick. Just need money to flank mm-hmm. him. Show up with the BK <laughs> Stars backline. Um, but yeah, I, I to me, I haven't gone through Spark Hunters with a, with a fine-tooth comb. I think that's very surprising. Especially given uh, Spark's like recent results and on top of that signing that that back line and i know at least i think i saw like super edge back in the yeah, lineup yeah, yeah. and i think That's there's taru so yeah. it's i don't know how you could put faith in that i don't know how that was a 3-0 um but we'll have to see and if like you're saying if they showed up then there's there's always a possibility right yeah. i don't know who they beat in a pack <laughs> right uh, maybe they take some maybe take philly close i can't see them you know going into deep waters with Seoul, but I mean, and there's also Shanghai, who knows, but... Yeah, at least as far as I know for APEC, all the team's DPS combos are crazy. Yeah, it's yeah. nuts. It's yeah. They have crazy so DPS. Yeah. yeah, It is wild, but we do have an NA representative, so <laughs> we're going to go through these teams one by one, and we'll we'll take a vote at the very end on who, which of these four teams, or which two of these four teams, uh, actually do advance um, and get the uh, their, their 2022 playoff berths. Um, and starting us off, I think is the, you know, an outside favorite, uh, the Florida Mayhem. Uh, how do you guys feel about the old Church of Gunba? Yes. You know, that that's one of those teams where they play better in... <laughs> In the live matches, when when sure. it actually they they actually play better when the stakes are high too. Like if you look mm. at their uh, season record, is propped up by their um, like uh, tournament performances as well as like they they were the London killers as well. Uh, essentially, true. true. Um, uh, the the two reverse sweeps. Yeah, <laughs> that's a rough one, especially like considering in those tournaments. I recall. That London was also sort of like a sleeper pick. Like they were doing yes. very well in sli- scrims, could have gone far, and always like mayhem were the gatekeepers. I I remember um, interviewing Sparker, and he was like, "It's an embarrassment to w- lose against that team." After the first time <laughs> they did it, and then they did it again. You know, like um, I think generally speaking, there's a bit of a I think they got through their identity crisis. Hydron mm. has been playing like out of his mind. Nominally. Um, I I think that if, if we're playing any soldier and like that's got to be your guy now, right? For sure. Or would you still, you know, do the old switcheroo, Faustus? I mean, I think for play-ins, if the you have a player playing really well like Hydron's doing, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to just swap it up unless something's yeah. really going wrong. Yeah, for sure. I also low key their backline. If if we ever get to the character, uh, era, oh okay, I, I I see where you're going with this, and I like it. If if we ever get to the Kiriko era, dude, like they have some like mechanical crack addicts in in that team, right? Yeah, like, you're gonna see Magic in the backline. He can't mm-hmm. feed anymore because he can get out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> what a, a hero that masks all my like weaknesses amazing like amazing um that's actually a hero made for him i feel like yeah for sure for sure 100 percent. and they've they've been they've been big on like these I don't know how Kiriko is going to fit within like the archetypes that we've labeled out with like flex and main supports. But this is a team that all season long has been like creative in the way that they look at the game and they've, they've leveraged some of these double flex before. So I, you know, I think there's some credence there. Yeah. I I'm, I'm a little concerned that they over prep. We've seen, mm. seen them do that a little bit, you know, the whole, and once again, okay, this is, Hello, narrative analysis. I'm just writing that horse home. Um, <laughs> but, like, you know, the whole Roadhog Gibraltar thing? Yeah, um, yes. It's not good. That, that, not happy. that type of stuff, like, you can do that in a series like uh, a playoff series. You can't do it every map, right? You, yeah. Like, at some point, you got to play some good old conservative Overwatch and bring it home right yeah you can't be hard prep for every little thing in overwatch yeah. it's pretty hard yeah, somebody sure. will forget something or be like oh yeah i need to do that wait they're not playing like that anymore i'm gonna still do the same thing yeah yeah i'm so I'm, for for you two would you say that florida kind of is out in front as as maybe a play-ins leader or is there another team that you feel like maybe takes well, that I'm a little biased because of how well Washington does in our scrims, but they've been okay. looking super well. Lately. That was another team that I was like, I don't even know if I want to review these games because they're so old and like the meta feels like it's just kind of lapped their last game of the regular season. So I'm very interested if you feel comfortable talking about some of those scrims on what the Justice are up to, because it feels like with the meta well, that we're I won't say what they're playing. Sure, but, sure, sure. Not not what they're playing, uh, <laughs> but how, how successful they're they're doing right now. Uh, at least for against us, when I mean, we scrim all these teams except for you know, since we had to play Boston, we played sure. them in the match. Yeah. And we played Florida a decent amount. Uh Washington always gave us the most trouble. Ah. Okay. So now, you know, that that just kinda depends on like a lot of things, you know, maybe their playstyle just works a little bit better. But mm. I think that at least between the players they have and like what they're doing, if nothing changes too much, I feel like they should win or like make it in. Okay. Now I'm going to ask a really ignorant question. Do we know for sure if we're getting the, the, the playoff patch for play-ins or are we no, still no, playing we the same patch? We're playing the same patch. Yeah. Okay. Same patch. Everything goes as standard. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense to me just off of like, what we've seen from assassin after like the internal stuff, the, the, the drama, I feel like he's been like a spearhead for this team. Obviously decay does decay things mm. still very, very talented. Um, and I want to say, and maybe, maybe YouTube chat can correct me if I'm wrong. Am I baiting engagement? Maybe you'll never know. Um, maybe they can tell me if Kalios did have a Zarya. I feel like he always had like a pocket Zarya. I feel like he, Oh hit yeah. He, he was always a good Zarya player. Yeah. So like he, this, he was also like a, a hard caller exactly well. 100 percent. i remember talking about this like last year when he came into new york and like they just looked so much better when he was playing so it's like if you're telling me that like maybe they are being successful in the scrim environment it, it you know these pieces align it's like decay has a home it's very clear assassin has a home it's very clear on like what heroes like all of these players play and it's like okay well there's not really too much question work there's not too many too much guesswork around this like you play exactly what the meta dictates. You're also very talented. You've, you're on an upswing. I could see it happening. It makes sense to me. 
Yeah, I'm not saying they're 100 the favorite. Sure, but like with they're... how they've been playing and like what they're doing, especially with who they have. Yeah, like you have to be dumb to think they're just going to straight up lose twice and yeah. be out. Yeah, they're going to definitely like have. Some, I don't feel like they're going to just roll over and die. At least every every match is going to be them winning or it's going to be close. I'll tell you what, hearing that changed my one of my predictions for sure. I didn't like I don't like the other two teams personally and Justice was like a very much a wild card. I didn't know I was getting such a gift today and now I feel like I know exactly which teams are getting out. Yeah, the, the my my thing with Justice is I think they are likely or I think they're for me the second most likely team to make it out. Um, of plans, I think that they are also one team that is likely to lose a lot of uh, performance going out because what I, I was looking at stats as well, but also like at gameplay and decay is nutty, dude. Like this oh, season, yeah. low key, like has been hard carrying for this team. Um, like if if he get has to be forced of, of his picks, then and it, it doesn't necessarily mean that that is going to happened through, uh, through the like once again we we talked about the genji um thresholds in terms of the combos and whatnot but man like this guy has been once again been putting in some work um yeah there's a few times during scrims i'm like oh in my head i didn't say anything but i'm like yeah we just got decayed because he's just <laughs> yeah. getting a pick every single fight without fail yeah and that's presumably on genji right yeah, I, I can't remember if he's playing Genji or Sword. I I would sure I would Sword. guess the other one. I would say that Assassin's probably playing Genji and Decay. Yeah, I, I'm mm-hmm. pretty sure. I'm pretty sure Decay is playing Sojourn. Right. And yeah. Assassin's playing Genji. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I, the, yeah. The thing is, also, if that team still had Vigilante, okay, I'm I'm thinking differently about Oof. how the uh, playoffs go. This this is a thing. Like, have you, you guys presumably haven't scrimmed uh, Atlanta, as you said before, right? Have you mm-hmm. looked at that player? And like, because Chris was basically, I was talking to Chris, had an interview with him. Christopher was like, yo, if it, if it is, wasn't for proper, then I would say for Vigilante is the best player in the league right now. Uh, I watched some of Atlanta play uh, quite a few times on the replay to see like what they're doing, their play style, see if I can learn something right. I watched Vigilante's play. Uh, to play and I'm like, wow, this guy's actually hard carrying. <laughs> it was ridiculous how much this that guy was doing on Zen yeah. to people. There was fights where I'm like, oh, he should definitely die here. I see a tracer grab and he just instantly dinks the guy and he's gone. I'm like, oh, oh, okay. <laughs> how many times does he do this? All the time. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And that's also like, and and I don't want to you know get too off on too much of a tangent, but this is also where I'm looking at Atlanta for Kiriko stuff and like where well, i'm thinking okay that's also a guy that definitely like if if there's a mechanical ceiling to be hit like that's the guy that gets there first probably right uh given yeah, how, I can see that. how he's played um this year but yeah um so washington yeah i once again like whatever they're doing now is just bonus given their situation for me right like yep It's also a pretty interesting field case study of gaining by subtraction. Mm Mm-hmm. Right? Agreed. Yes. Like, that's a team that really rallied around an identity as soon as, like, all hell broke loose internally. And now, I mean, they definitely have played better Overwatch post-apocalypse than uh, they did before, right? 
Yeah, they definitely have. Like, I feel like they've been playing way better after that happened for some reason. Whatever happened, I don't know. If, uh, with them, I don't know, but they definitely feel like they play better. Yeah. I was very optimistic at the start. I had a, I had a very specific, like, metric of success for them coming out of last year where I felt like they were just, like, overly gun-shy. I felt like Mag was just, like, afraid to, like, pull the trigger. They didn't seem like they had, like, a good engage. Like, they, it, it, it didn't seem like anybody was calling for the team. And now, after everything's broken out, it feels like I, I don't know how, how you feel about the spouses, um, but I feel like, like, first in, and it's hard with like certain meta compositions that this doesn't always apply. But when I see like Assassin just like flying in ahead of his team and like the team rallying behind him, I have to assume that there's like very clear, there's a very clear calling structure. And then you, you know, we talked about this with Kalios. Um, it feels like it now. It feels like there's there's actually somebody like le- like at the helm of this team. There's like a game plan. You still have Decay doing crazy stuff, like you said. Um, it it just kind of works. It just makes sense. I don't know. Yeah, it seems like when they swapped it, they uh, got a little bit more of an idea of how they wanted to take their fights and like how yeah. they wanted to go through things. Like I don't know, I know Kalios is a hard caller, but maybe it was that Assassins actually able to communicate everything that he wants to do but better than decay does and then decay actually does more on sojourn than he did on when genji which he i feel like he does actually (laughs) even though he's good at genji yeah he's he's another one that just definitely changed their play style they're way way more aggressive than they were before yeah no for sure i think and i guess we can use this as a transition it's kind of interesting because Mac left that team, but Mac also hasn't been looking bad, right? For uh, no, no. Rising. And once know. again, like, okay, the, the tank situation, once again, like a controversial one, uh, <laughs> to say the least, right? <laughs> is it though? I don't know. Punk play, Punk's, <laughs> Punk's playing pretty good. Yeah, but so is Mac. And then you got to, like, you just look at the results, right? What, yeah. what the team is. From a coaching perspective, like, if you have two players like that playing pretty well on like both of them you probably just look at how the rest of the team plays around them right yeah yeah otherwise it's just a headache Mm -hmm. (laughs) like okay i got this really good player i got really this really good player if i pick either one i just you know it's good but like the other guy doesn't get to play yeah that's all you get so you have to just work with okay who actually just fits better for this or is there something specific that we're doing that requires this hero which, funny, funnily enough, you mentioned with Boston, you know, this is, I think it was, I was either, let's see, I have my notes here. I think it was first you guys, they were doing like the, the 76 stuff on like push. And I think on one of the, the Busan sub maps and it's like, okay, it's, it's interesting. I just, I can't for my own like heuristics when it comes to Overwatch, I feel like High tempo is good overwatch. Aggression is good overwatch. Like controlled aggression, not like Titans crazy head down, you know, berserker aggression. But I I just don't know how well the Sojourn 76, like very kind of passive. I liked Yiska's analogy of like the siege. It feels very kind of slow. You're kind of like running flanks. You're you're trying to abuse the map as much as you can. Um, did you guys feel bothered by that at all? Did, do you do you think it has legs to stand on? No pun intended. <laughs> I'm that cop. I'm not completely sure because okay. I can't say it's just bad. Sure, because I can see, like you said, it has some legs. 
on certain maps. You know, they yeah. played it on Sanctuary, which makes sense. You could play that. He, you play a soldier who can actually flank around and fight a somber yeah. or fight a tracer. You you get a different angle. You can't just kick him out easily. I'm like, okay, that makes sense. You play him on New Queen Street, you got the same thing going. I'm like, okay, yeah, you could do that. That wouldn't be that bad. Does it like the best pick you could pick? I, not really sure. I could tell you that, but right. Does soldier get to do things? Yeah. Does he do a lot of damage? <laughs> yeah. Okay. I can see where it works. It, it it does. I agree there. It does. It does feel like a very like map specific thing, and that was definitely something that felt very apparent from looking at some of these Boston games. Um, and what I highlighted is like one of the scary things for Boston is like their pace shifting. Right. They could go from playing New Queen Street, I, I guess, versus New York. Um, playing the soldier in the 76 um, and then immediately go into Genji and it feels like they they shift gears perfectly they hit the clutch they're they're diving in they have that aggressive like engage tool with the Genji to kind of go in and assassinate somebody off of the damage from the sojourn seeker still getting you know impact kills definitely somebody that uh, I don't think it's enough enough love even though I think he's not obviously not the greatest but you know still very impressive um it's i don't think they're to be slept on but i can't i'll say that they're better in toronto i don't i'm not very high on toronto i don't know if that's been very apparent but uh i I like boston as like an outside shot but for me to kind of get ahead of the the conversation i'll say mayhem and justice are probably getting out 1a 1b Uh, i don't really care how they do it but i think that that they're just like there's a pretty big gap i don't know how you guys feel about that yes do you do you concur yeah, I, I think, uh, generally speaking, um, I think that's just how, how that worked out this season, right? Yeah. I think Toronto's had their metas, but right now I'm... I'm not, I'm not big on them. Faustus, do you have anything to add with Toronto? Uh, I, could, I could poo-poo on them, but I don't, I don't think it's... Toronto's a team but... where like, I always feel like everyone says they're mid that's exactly what i see when i play yeah. them or like see them they always just feel mid like i they don't underperform normally and sometimes yeah. they overperform which is good they don't have mm-hmm. a bad uh floor right yeah. but uh it, it's hard to say whether or not they'll win or not because it depends on if they're going to overperformer for yeah. that like couple days because i do know that hisu is just fantastic i sometimes. think is I think maybe Decay is better than him, but I think he's better than everyone else at his sure. mm-hmm. in the play-ins. I, I think when Toronto played Florida recently, I, I would have to give Hisu the benefit of the doubt. It did not feel like he had a good day at the office. It felt like Hydron was like overperforming, Hisu was underperforming, yeah. and it was like very obvious in that 3-0, right? Yeah. We know Hisu to be a very talented hit scan. It's like his his you know, the niche he's carved out within this team. Um for me it, it's it's two things, right? Mm-hmm. It doesn't feel like Toronto has a strong second man in in the meta currently, right? You still have Aldo running around on Tracer. His impact is not necessarily like tangible. The Genji, they feel like very hesitant to run. And then I'm looking at Habba throwing two man down grabs, and I want to pull my hair out the <laughs> last the little bit that I have left remaining. I'm like, it's such a good alt. You can't afford to just throw that away. The amount of times that you can just like grab Azaria and kill her. Or, like, grab a, a Genji that's just running around flanking and just kill him. Like, it's so valuable. You can't just be throwing that around. I I just did not like what I saw coming back and, and doing some yeah, review. Like, I, I feel like, like I think Hisu, uh, I got to give a lot of respect to that guy. I yeah. think he's improved the most out of any player I've watched. Uh, like, tremendously. He, he's a fantastic player now. Backbone. 
when used to, he was like, okay, yeah. <laughs> but uh, some of the guys on their team, well, I don't think they're bad. I don't yeah. think they're. I just think they're mid. Yeah. At times. And Twilight and Hisu do a lot for that team, but I don't think they can do everything for that team. And then Chorong's yeah. a bit like inconsistent. Sometimes he's amazing, and sometimes he's not. Yeah. So, could they overperform? They have the players for it. They have oh, the players sure. to win it, for sure. But from like, what I've seen from Washington, especially with how they've been playing, the more tempo style and everything, mm-hmm. they should be able to beat beat them there. So, so gun to head, the fate of the universe on the line. Yes, I'm stealing this from Matt Kellerman. Um, who are your third teams coming out of play-ins? I'd have to say it's probably Florida and Washington. I would agree. Yeska, did we get one out of you? Yeah, no, that's that's also mine. Um, I think third most likely is Toronto. Toronto could both be the best team simultaneously <laughs> while being the worst team. Yep. <laughs> I couldn't agree more. I, I think Boston needs okay. to expand how they play a little bit. When mm-hmm. we played them, I felt they were very one note. Like you saw how they played, that's exactly how they play all the time. There's mm. like very little differentiation between that. And if you play that really well and you know the other team isn't like quite doing what they need to or like grasping what they need to get through, which I think we weren't in our match other than the first map. Yeah. Uh you will still lose to them, right? But being mm. that one note, especially with how Florida likes to do things, I feel like they're gonna run them over if they stay like that. Yep. I tend to agree. Any any last notes before we skedaddle out of here? Just got anything? Anything else burning? Your little German heart? No, not really. I um I think um I'm looking forward to with, with, in terms of uh what the patch notes actually end up being if that was actually the final list that were given uh to the teams. Um I'm looking forward to the plans for sure. Um are they played on two days? That's by the way, not inconsequential. I think that's actually a great move, move by the league um, that we don't have all of these on on one day because yeah that true. that feels a little you know much like thirty that's days true. between games you can't even have uh, post match interviews with the winner and whatnot uh, in, during the APEC play-ins I think that was the case so this is a definitely an improved format and I hope that that that's basically my my primary hope. That the best selection of the team that in the next meta takes place here. And of course, fortunately, we will never find out how the other teams would have uh, performed. <laughs> right? um, but I, I mean, like once again, definitely worth watching now because considering the patch comes in, there's a soft reset um, yeah. to to all of this. What do you know? Maybe there's a finals candidate in there uh, next weekend, right? True. With with like you said, with how much you could soft reset the meta, with how often we see these crazy Cinderella runs, we're we're due for for one to actually steal a title. Like you said, the justice. I don't know how. I don't know why. But the the powers that be just always seem to give them like a a, a late. They get they got a gas tank on them, right? They they just come alive for whatever reason. Roll the dice, however you want to put it. You know, with the, the hog and Zarya. Gear. Yeah, it's it's crazy, and it looks like it could happen again. So, we're we're due for we're due for a crazy upset. We're due for a season one 
electric boogaloo but i think that's gonna do it from from us over here at tactical crouch this has been episode 267 like subscribe all that jazz um and we will see you uh hopefully playoffs i believe is the next time we will see you so uh tune in then take care